From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. Last week, the North Texas region reached a threshold set by Texas Governor Greg Abbott in an October executive order, triggering the closure of bars, a halt of elective surgeries, and the reduction of capacity at non-essential businesses to 50% from 75. As COVID-19 continues to dominate the daily headlines, it obviously impacts politics as well. Romer Jeffers is out this week, so NBC5 anchor Brian Curtis joins Julie Fine to talk to Fort Worth Mayor Betsy Price, who's coming off her own bout with the virus, Congressman Colin Allred, and in a conversation you'll hear only on the podcast, the president of the Dallas County Medical Society, Dr. Mark Casanova. Fort Worth Mayor Betsy Price returned to work last week after missing two weeks with COVID-19. Price was one of the first patients in North Texas to get a new treatment for the virus, an infusion of manufactured antibodies. She talks to Julian Bryan about her fight with COVID, Fort Worth's rising rate of violent crime, and plans for a new city hall. Mayor, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's good to see y'all. First and foremost, how are you and how's your husband doing? We're doing great. Both of us have recovered well and are working hard and, you know, trying to get the message out. Take care of this immediately and, and hopefully you'll get better quicker. Mayor, I'm curious, now that you've gone through it yourself, does it shift your understanding of the pandemic in any way or maybe change your perspective on things? You know, no, not really. I mean, I, we've known all along that the chance to get it was there and that it could be severe, it can be light, and I just truly believe you know, you take care of yourself and, and you try to intervene on it early. And I was fortunate enough to be in that high risk category because of age that was received the monoclonal antibodies. We've now crossed the line where businesses have to reduce capacity and bars have to close. How will that be enforced in Fort Worth? Well, we'll start just like we have through this whole pandemic with education. My code department is calling on all businesses, sending all establishments a letter telling them what's going on. They'll call on them, talk to them, try to work them through this. Then if we see continued violations, we can issue citations if we have to. But we'll do it first with education. Right now, Mayor, we have the, the National Rodeo Finals going on. A lot of events in Fort Worth. I think a, a lot of people are wondering, should we be concerned about that right now with the spike in cases? Well, I think it's always concerning, but you know, the spike in cases is coming on the heels of Halloween, Thanksgiving, headed into the holiday season, the flu season. We've done other big events. We did the NASCAR race. We did the Snapple bit. We did the first golf tournament here. We did it safely and we've stood up additional test sites. We've got 50,000 masks that we've got ambassadors passing out. And we're really encouraging everybody to social distance and wear their mask and practice uh, what we've been preaching for months. With some businesses, though, not able to be open, is this the time for large events? You know, I, I don't know that we get to judge that. This was granted through the governor's office 90 days ago, and we feel like it's important. I think it's important for people to be able to work and still have their jobs for people to be able to compete in these things. And I do think we can do it safely. We are, of course, operating under the governor's executive order at this point, and these new restrictions have kicked in. Do you think the governor at some point might need to consider changing his executive order? You know, I don't know. I think we'll just have to see. The issue here is what happens with the hospital capacity, but really the vaccine. We're hard on the heels of this vaccine. I mean, we expect to have the first doses in Fort Worth by December the 16th, and we've got these new therapeutic treatments, the monoclonal antibodies, 
that seem to be helping a lot of people. And hopefully we can all be responsible and hold on here and we'll get through this and come out of it stronger. And you just touched on this, but we've been told that vaccine distribution could begin here in just about two weeks. What have state officials told you about how this is going to be rolled out? Well, it's going to be rolled out in two tiers. The first will be probably frontline responders, uh, long-term nursing care centers, uh, hospital care. And then the second will be pharmacies, urgent care clinics and things. And our first responders will be in there at some point also. And hopefully very shortly, we'll have enough doses for everybody to be able to get this. Mayor, how do you feel about how Fort Worth is positioned for the rollout of the vaccine? I think we're in good shape. We've been talking about this, working th with our code and our fire department to coordinate it through the community, clearly working with Judge Whitley and the county staff on how do we do this. And I feel like we're in real good shape. Mayor, this may be hard to know at this point, but how long do you think it will be until everyone who wants to get a vaccine is able to get one? I wish I had a crystal ball, Julie, <laughs> and could tell you that, but I don't. I hope it's sooner rather than later. What about rolling out the vaccine to some communities that have been hit disproportionately hard, the, the communities of color in Fort Worth? Yeah, there are definite health disparities that have really come to light that we've suspected for some time. And with COVID, they've really come to light. And the hope is there's been a lot of talk about that, but we haven't gotten the final decision on it yet. It's still tier one and tier two responders. And hopefully we'll be able to roll those out in those communities that are high risk when we begin to vaccinate the general public. You will be heading to the White House next week. Tell us a little bit about that trip. Yeah, the top mayors of the top cities in the nation and the governors were invited to come uh, to meet with the Operation Warp Speed team, the president and the vice president, to talk about the rollout of this. How will it work? What will we need? Who's paying for it all? And I'm excited to have the opportunity to go up and hear what they have to say about it. Mayor, there are, of course, other things happening in Fort Worth. A, a troubling story is the city's murder rate. It is, it is way up over the same time last year. What do you think needs to be done? How do we get a handle on this? I think getting a handle on murder rates is always hard. And yes, ours is up, but it's up all over the nation in all the major cities. And the pandemic is a part of that. Most of the crime, the murder rates that we're seeing are crimes of passion or domestic violence. And if we can get people working, get the kids in school and keep this moving forward, we should be able to reduce it. We implemented in May a violence unit that our police department is working hard on that. We put more officers on the streets, taken them out of some of the desk jobs and moved them out and we'll get a handle on it, but we're not the only city. Every major city is struggling with this issue right now. Another news last week, Fort Worth may be getting a new city hall. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, it's, you know, it's a came, it's a great message for our residents and our citizens during this time. It's a great real estate opportunity. Keep us from having to build one. It's easy access, free parking for the public, a bigger council chambers. It's the old Pier 1 building, and we're really excited about having that opportunity. We can consolidate down, put some of the buildings that city's been occupying on lease space back on the tax rolls, and that'll help us overall with our tax burdens. That is a good looking building, Mayor. That'll be the, the envy of many cities across the country. It is it's yes, wonderful it to be. see you. I, I'm, I'm so glad you're doing so well, you and your husband. Thank you. It's great to see you. I'm glad y'all are being, doing well, too. 
NBC5 reporter Scott Gordon covered the rising murder rate in the city recently. To see his story, visit NBCDFW.com and search Fort Worth Murders. Let's zoom out a little bit and look at the virus at the national level. After passing a series of aid packages early in the pandemic, it has been months since Congress has made progress on further stimulus. But that changed last week, when it was reported a bipartisan group of senators got to work on a new deal. Congressman Colin Allred, who represents Texas's 32nd congressional district, which covers northern parts of Dallas County, joins Julian Bryan to talk about that potential package. Joining us this morning, North Texas Congressman Colin Allred. Thank you for being here, Representative. Thanks for having me. Let's begin with more COVID relief. It hasn't gotten done yet. There's been a lot of back and forth between Democrats and Republicans about who's to blame here. All while people suffer, is there any progress to report? You know, I really think there is. Uh, there's a framework uh, to get something done here that um, I think will get us to March, which is not, you know, probably the, the long package, the big package that everyone wanted. Uh, but it's something that we have to do. And I think we all recognize uh, the pain that is happening in our communities, uh, that yes, the vaccine is on the horizon, but to get through this winter, uh, and particularly uh, given the, the rise in cases we're seeing across the country, that's also having an economic impact. And so I do think, and I've been wrong before when I've said this, uh, that we will have a deal in the coming week. Is there any deal that you are comfortable with at this point? There is. And, you know, Julie, I've, I've been someone who's been advocating for us to have a compromise uh, for months now. Uh, and, and I'm glad to see that it looks like a group of senators uh, have come together and put together a framework that I would support. Uh, I put out a statement in support of that framework. It's not everything that I want. It's not everything that the Republicans would want, uh, but it is something that I think both sides can accept. And ultimately, I think that's what the American people expect of us. The airline industry is so important to North Texas. Is the airline industry included in this? We're working to make sure that it is. And thank you for asking about that, Brian. It's a real focus of mine. In fact, I spoke with the chairman of our uh, transportation committee just a couple of days ago about this. Uh, the PSP uh, program, which is the Paycheck Support Program, for airline employees is something that we are trying to make sure is in this package. As you said, we have American, we have Southwest here in DFW. Of course, Love and, and uh, DFW Airport is huge and incredibly important for our economy. Uh, this is a real focus of mine. I hope that it ends up in the final package. If it doesn't though, we will revisit it. The COVID numbers continue to go up in Dallas. Now we've triggered new restrictions on businesses. Is that too far or not enough to address the current situation? Well, it's always hard uh, making these decisions uh, because we recognize uh, that there is an economic impact whenever you have to cut back on capacity, whenever you're having to close certain types of businesses. But uh, we have to do what's best for public health and beat this virus, which will then allow us to reopen uh, and, and do so in a way that we stay open. And so what we're trying to do here uh, is to get to the vaccine. And, you know, this is a different scenario than it was this summer in which we didn't really have a vaccine on the horizon. I couldn't tell you, hang in there, help is on the way. Uh, it is on the way now. We will have over a million doses delivered to Texas uh, this month. Uh, I think that by late spring, early summer of next year, we'll have broad distribution of the vaccine. Uh, and, and that is what we have to get to. We have, we've got to get folks to that point. We've got to support the businesses that are going to be in trouble and the folks who may be out of a job through uh, this, this period so we can get there in a way that people don't suffer too much. President-elect Biden has said that after inauguration, he will ask Americans 
to mask for 100 days. Do you support that? I do, and we've learned a lot over the course of this pandemic. Early on in the pandemic, uh, the CDC guidance was to not go out uh, and get a mask because we were concerned that we were gonna run out of them and that healthcare workers wouldn't have enough. We've learned though that a very simple uh, piece of cloth or fabric can save lives, can protect our frontline healthcare workers who are risking their lives right now. And I really wanna stress this, Brian, because I've spoken with uh, the folks at Parkland, UT Southwestern. Uh, the biggest concern we have right now isn't our hospital capacity, it's the capacity of our healthcare workers themselves. They are under enormous stress and they have been for months. Uh, and we have to protect them because if they go down, there's really, there really is no other line of defense. Along the lines of President-elect Joe Biden, he's begun to roll out his cabinet. What do you think of the pick so far? Well, it looks like a very uh, professional, uh, very serious group uh, that I think will hit the ground running. Uh, these are folks who have experience, uh, who I think will have broad respect around the world. Uh, and we'll still learn more about uh, some of the domestic and, and local uh, you know, appointments that they're going to make. Uh, but the team that he's putting together, you know, from Janet Yellen uh, at Treasury, uh, Tony Blinken at State, uh, to me looks like a really, really solid team. Uh, and I, I think they're going to do a good job in combating uh, the economic crisis that we're facing across the country and across the world uh, and leading us out of this pandemic. And I think restoring some of the damage that's been done to our reputation around the world. Congressman, Democrats obviously celebrating Joe Biden's win, but the party actually lost seats in the House, a significant number. Why do you think that happened and how might that affect the Democrats' agenda going forward? Well, you know, we, we clearly, uh, you know, have to understand uh, that in a presidential election, both sides are going to come out. Uh, Democrats in, in the House did get over three million more votes than Republicans, but across the country, uh, we did lose uh, seats. And that's something that uh, is a, you know, I'm disappointed because some of my best friends uh, are, are some of the folks who lost. Uh, but we are, I think we have a mandate still uh, to try and deliver for the American people. Uh, I certainly am focused on and have been for my first term and now heading into my second term on finding the common ground, regardless of what the numbers are of Democrats and Republicans in the House or in the Senate. Uh, because I do think uh, that regardless of what we're doing, it's gonna have to be bipartisan for it to get a broad support and to last. Uh, and so, you know, that I think is the message that the American people really sent, is that they want to see us work together, or they want to see us actually deliver on some things. And Democrats have already picked their leadership. You were elected caucus, caucus leadership representative. What will you be doing in that role? Well, I'm going to try and push for uh, us to, you know, as I said, find the common ground where we can and, and to recognize uh, that there are some folks on uh, uh, the Republican side who want to work with us on some things and that we need to uh, give them an opportunity uh, to work with us. Uh, I want to make sure that our leadership understands what the concerns are of particularly us new members who came in uh, in, in 2018 and recent elections, I think with a mandate, as I said, to deliver on things. We don't, we're not here to take you know, partisan votes. We're not here to, to just kind of you know, pursue a party agenda. We really want to govern. Uh, and so I'm gonna try and use whatever leverage I have at the leadership table to push for those things uh, and hopefully with the leadership also of Joe Biden in the White House, I think you'll see us function better uh, as a government than we have these last two and, and four years. Congressman, I know you are speaking to us from D.C. I, I'm curious, we're in this sort of strange period, the transition period, about 40 days or so left in the Trump administration. 
What's the mood on Capitol Hill right now? I, I think it's anticipatory. Uh, a lot of things are going to change on January 3rd when the new Congress is sworn in, on January 20th when the new president is sworn in. And you know, as you all know, so much of what's happened here has been dominated by the drama of the Trump presidency. Uh, and whether you support it or against it, it has been constantly dramatic with you know, sharp turns every single day, pretty much. Uh, and that, I think, will change. I think we will, I think a lot of the conversations I'm having with my colleagues here is expecting to have a return to some normal forms of governance in terms of, you know, actually being able to anticipate what may uh, be coming out of the White House uh, and what may be expected of the Congress. Uh, so that, I think, will help us govern better. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of changes here. Uh, and you know, I think we're all waiting to see how that's going to play out. Uh, but I I'm hopeful that with our new president, uh, that we're going to be able to beat this virus, get people back to work. Those are the things I think that folks are really most concerned with right now. Congressman Colin Allred, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you both for having me. Last week, the percentage of COVID-19 patients in North Texas hospitals topped 15% for the seventh straight day. That triggered a rollback of reopenings under an executive order Governor Abbott issued in October. Before we get to the president of the Dallas County Medical Society, let's break down that order real quick. Texas is divided into 22 trauma service areas. The region most of North Texas falls into is trauma service area E. Once a trauma service area hits that seven-day mark, bars have to close, hospitals must stop performing elective surgeries, and non-essential businesses must reduce capacity to 50%. Trauma service area E was the seventh of the 22 in the state to reach the seven-day mark. However, there's good news, too. Local leaders in Dallas and Tarrant counties both say they expect rounds of the vaccine to be available to healthcare workers within two weeks. But as Dr. Mark Casanova tells Julie, it's certainly not time to let our guards down. And the president of the Dallas County Medical Society, Dr. Mark Casanova, joins us today for the podcast. Dr. Casanova, thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. First and foremost, big change here in the North Texas area, the rollbacks because of the hospital capacity. Talk to us about that and how, you know, how serious is this? Well, it's very serious, and I also think it's important to point out that there are differences between um, where we are today and where we were both in the spring and the summer and the changes that were implemented at that time. And one of the key fundamental differences is the fact that back then we were affected as a region, as were other regions, but there were also areas of the state and or nation that were not significantly impacted at that time. That's a very different situation now. Um, we're all... Uh, getting to our limits in terms of hospital capacity, bed capacity, ICU capacity, and the like. What that means is we don't have the ability to rely on a region or hospitals that are less busy than ours because we're all in the same boat. It also means that our ability to call on uh, the Calvary and bring in reinforcements is limited because those reinforcements have been deployed to various hospital settings, whether they be physicians, nurses, or respiratory therapists. The emphasis and the focus on this um, threshold of 15% hospitalization, it should also be pointed out, it's somewhat of a bellwether marker that indicates to the extent that COVID-19 is having a measurable impact on the health and welfare of the community at large. So we, we look at that number and tells us that if it's 15% in a hospital, the ICU capacity and occupancy with COVID may be much higher 
And the overall ICU capacity could very well be above 80 to 90 percent uh, range. And what that tells us is our ability to surge beyond that is going to be limited. And that affects not just our ability to care for COVID patients, but for all patients with acute and chronic medical conditions that present to our places of care. Dr. Casanova, there are now seven hospital systems that are in this situation. So you talked a little bit about the cavalry not being there. How overworked and stressed are health providers? Well, um, before I answer how overworked and, and stressed they are, I will first start with a commendation of my, of my friends in, in the trenches. Um, and I use that very broadly, physicians, nurses, therapists, hospital chaps, and social workers. They and we are a resilient bunch. However, even the most resilient bunch that's been at it for a nine-month siege, I think that's what's very important to acknowledge is the length of time we've been at this and the intensity of the effort that's gone into the care of all patients at this time, in addition to our COVID patients in a very strained um, situation. I wouldn't be honest and truthful if I said it wasn't taking the toll. Um, I can see it in the faces of my colleagues and my friends uh, when I make rounds through the hospital or ICU. Uh, I refer to it as a soul fatigue, okay? We've all seen tiredness. We've all been a little sleep deprived. We all had that long day at work. You know that look when you look at somebody. Soul fatigue is a very different level of, of uh, fatigue, of being worn out. Um, it, it's, it's really a different entity in my mind than burnout, uh, because it's also coupled with a great degree of frustration that borders on despair. When we look at the situation and we see the unfolding of the numbers and we see the projections and we know what could happen if we don't do X and what would happen if we did Y. And we seem to can't pull away from X. And so then we see the numbers go up and we know what we're in store for. And many of us know what we're in store for for the next month to two months easy. So yes, it's taking a toll. Um, and yes, we've asked a lot of the public and, and I don't wanna make this all a negative statement. We're also grateful to the public and society at large for the efforts that they've put forth. And we know they're tired. Um, believe me when I say we know you're tired, um, but you know we've got hope on the horizon. And if we could just pull together, dig down deep, find that next wave of strength. And I know that it's very little left, but if we can do that, come out of the other end of this in a positive or semi-positive way. You know, I, you, you do hear people talking about their fatigue, but listening to you explain it, the soul fatigue and the things that you guys have seen, I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, you know, it's, it dawned on me that, you know, I think in, in, when we face crisis situations, it's um, very intuitive or normal for us to use these uh, wartime or battle analogies. Um, and it dawned on me as being a, a very, you know, sort of a, a novice World War II buff to uh, go back and or actually go to Google and remind myself, how long did the Battle of the Bulge last? And the Battle of the Bulge is one of those battles in World War II that, that many of us are aware of. Uh, it's a very arduous battle uh, felt, uh, fought in uh, the dead of winter um, with a significant loss of life. And that very famous battle um, lasted all of five weeks. And um, by no means would the survivors of those battles, uh, I'm sure that they would tell you that felt like a lifetime. Extrapolate that to what we've been at. Um, and it's just, um, it, it is clearly taking its toll. I think also 
you know, there, there is a, a caveat to this and you touched on it. We, you know, many of us as Americans, we pride ourselves in working hard, right? Uh, you know, a 40 hour work week, we, we, we laugh at, you know, uh, because it's really a 60 or an 80 hour work week. But there's an emotional component to this that is very hard to put into words. Um, it's not just the long hours. That's not what healthcare is, is quote unquote griping about. No, long hours are, are part of our life. It's the intensity of the suffering. It's the separation of families. It's a knowledge that there's not a darn thing you can do to fix that. Um, it's bearing witness to the lives that we lose via a pathway in essence of suffocation and the inability to breathe. It's the, the, the multi-system organ failure, the, the, the bomb that goes off in some people's bodies related to COVID. And I'll remind you, that's just our COVID patients. That's not our everyday loved ones that we care for with cancer, trauma, a heart attack, a stroke. So yes, um, healthcare is devoted to doing all that we can with as much as we have to save as many lives as possible for as long as possible. Um, but even all of that uh, effort, that endeavor uh, reaches a breaking point at times. Knowing that a vaccine is on the horizon, does that help? Well, <laughs> yes, but our fear is that it also hurts. Okay, so again, with the amount of negativity that has uh, prevailed over 2020, Let's rejoice in the positives. Let's hold on to those silver linings and help them to lift us up. Vaccines are on the way. Uh, and, the, and at least the two that are the two front contenders for the U.S. appear to be very uh, effective uh, in a remarkable uh, range of effectiveness, I should say. But what we don't want to have is uh, the general public to say, hey, great, vaccine on the way. Time to get back to relaxing those safety measures, throw, you know, put my mask in my desk drawer and get back to living life. No, we need to get on the other side of the vaccine uh, journey and on the other side of it with, you know, that key critical mass of individuals, 75-ish percent range. You can sort of pick your number, uh, but it's, it's up there um, to achieve true herd immunity. Then the vaccine will really pay off uh, in dividends in its full potential. So are we optimistic? Yes. Do we see light at the end of the tunnel? Yes. Is it all the more reason to double down, quadruple down our efforts? Absolutely. Dr. Casanova, I mean, and I think this is, I'm sure I'm asking a question that's impossible to answer. Do you have any idea how long it'll be until the vaccine is available to the to anyone in the public that wants it? I think anyone in the public that wants it, which is really sort of Five-ish, six-ish levels down, people. you know, down the level, uh, down the tiers. I think we're probably looking at uh, possibly the summer months. Um, and, and it could be faster. It, it really could. Um, you know, we, we do anticipate in the next two weeks having the vaccine arrive in North Texas. Obviously, that's going to be targeted to a combination of hospital, uh, frontline, high-intensity uh, frontline workers, um, and, and our most vulnerable are nursing home populations and those in institutionalized care settings. Uh, but then, you know, quickly thereafter, it's going to be coming down, um, coming down the pipeline. First responders, critical infrastructure, individuals with high risk, underlying medical conditions. Um, and then eventually, yes, the general public. So 
that time frame could be ballparkish summer, maybe late spring. Dr. Casanova, thank you for what you do. I think you really painted a picture so people can understand. You know, I remember seeing a lot of pictures of healthcare workers holding signs. We came to work, so please stay home for us. So thank you very much for what you do. I just immensely appreciate that. The House of Medicine appreciates it. Um, I know that we feel we may come across as negative Nellies and the Grinch that stole Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, it affects us too. And the only reason we um, make these proclamations and recommendations is, is for the health and welfare of us at large. Um, we do care about you. Um, we by no means are trying to harm you in any way, uh, whether it's psychologically, financially, um, or, or emotionally. Problem is, is um, those categories are not without impact related to the virus itself. So it's affecting us in our society in so many ways, but I think with, with a, a joined effort, we can get this under control. And if there's a region of the state and the nation that can do it, I have the highest degree of confidence that North Texas can get it right. Dr. Casanova, thanks so much for being with us. Those final words from Dr. Casanova, stay vigilant just a little bit longer as help is on the way. Thanks to Mayor Betsy Price, Congressman Colin Allred, and Dr. Mark Casanova for joining us this week. Stay up to date with everything related to Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>